The costume I was forced to wear as mascot for Derby's Funland was not built for warm weather or user comfort. I was sweating profusely as I stood outside in the midday sun, a silent prisoner in my oversized getup as I put on a fake happy voice, dancing and capering with visitors, all the while dying inside. This wasn't what I'd pictured when I decided to become a character actor. The costume had the oversized head of a cartoon dog whose gaping mouth I peered out from within. The character wore a blue sailor outfit, a blatant ripoff of a popular duck character created by another brand, a fact which I was heckled for constantly. Hey, Derby, duck! A little kid yelled, tossing his hot dog at me and staining my costume yellow with mustard across the front. It was the third time that morning I'd been assaulted by a child, which was my cue to take a smoke break. I began stomping away when someone called after me angrily. Hey, asshole, my kid wanted a show. Where do you think you're going? I turned around and saw a red-faced man with a large camera strapped around his neck, wearing a fanny pack and an Ed Hardy shirt. The devil child's father, I presumed. Whoops, I said, gritting my teeth and looking down at the obnoxious twerp who just branded me with mustard. How do you derby do, little fella? Are you having a great day at Derby's Funland? The kid leered up at me, grinning a gap-toothed bully smile. You wrecked my Derby dog. Now I want a new one. No, I want an ice cream cone. The little snot knew damn well what he'd done. His dad hadn't seen it, but the two of us knew that he'd purposefully ruined my costume with his hot dog and was now blaming me for it. It was too much for me to handle. Maybe it was the heat. Maybe it was the fact that I hadn't eaten breakfast yet. Or maybe it was just the infuriating grin of that punk kid staring up at me, knowing he could get away with murder. I think you're remembering that wrong, little friend. You threw your hot dog at Derby. Hey, my kid wouldn't do that. Don't blame him for your clumsy ass. The little boy took a cue from his father and started crying crocodile tears. Derby's a big fat liar. He wrecked my hot dog. A moment later, the guy was attacking me, shoving me until eventually my manager had to come over, his face a frustrating mask of calm. What seems to be the problem here? This punk ruined my kid's lunch, and now he's trying to blame him for it. I should sue you guys. Sure, sue me for a hot dog, I thought in my head. Thankfully, it had gone too far by this point, and I knew better than to say it out loud. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Please, follow me this way. Let me take you to our VIP lounge and we'll get you and your son some complimentary refreshments. Looks like you need a refill there too. He pointed at the dad's red plastic cup of beer, nearly empty. The guy finished it off in one long swig and tossed the cup at a nearby trash can, missing completely. Damn straight. Come on, Skyler, we're VIPs, he slurred before burping loudly. I'd seen this before. Some people tried to make a stink about everything just to get free stuff. But this douchebag was taking it to another level. Even the kid seemed to be in on it. And they were gonna reward this behavior? Hell no. I'd never even heard of the Derby's Funland Visitor VIP Lounge, but it sounded badass. And this guy didn't deserve whatever pampering he was about to get. 
I was picturing champagne and caviar, cigars, and high-quality porno magazines. My boss looked over his shoulder at me with a glare that said he'd talk to me later, then escorted the two away into a secret door hidden behind a fake tree prop. I followed them, thinking I would give my boss a piece of my mind. If he fired me, so be it. I'd taken enough abuse. The dark tunnel behind the fake tree was long and lined with ancient brick. It appeared to be as old as the park itself. Far up ahead, I could hear the echoing voices of the man and his bratty kid talking over my manager as he apologized. I hustled along to catch up with them, but then the sounds of them talking abruptly stopped. It was replaced by a meaty walloping noise, like someone tenderizing meat, except they'd forgotten to remove the bone first. As I walked quietly through the dark tunnel, the sounds of hammering eventually stopped and were replaced by a different noise. It sounded like something heavy being dragged slowly over the cobblestones, slow and deliberate. Terrified now for reasons I wasn't sure of, I kept my footsteps as quiet as I could, peeking around the corner. My manager was up ahead with another person and they were dragging two dead bodies along, one large, one small, and leaving blood trails behind them like giant, wounded slugs. No, that's not possible. I must be seeing things. I can't be right, I told myself. A door opened and closed, and they dragged the bodies inside. I hurried along, careful not to step in the bloody trails which had been left on the stone. When I finally came to the door at the end, I looked at the writing on the sign with stunned disbelief. Derby's Funland, in-house hot dog production facility, it read. Authorized personnel only. I pushed open the door and snuck inside. The room was dark and the sounds of a machine running could be heard nearby. My heart pounding in my chest, feeling sick and lightheaded, I crept towards those sounds. What I saw in that back room, I will never forget. My manager dropped off the two bodies and walked right past me, out the door we had come in through. He didn't see me in the shadows as I watched what happened next. A huge man in a white butcher's apron was sharpening a cleaver. He was at least seven feet tall, his belly large and hanging over his belt. He picked up the limp body of the dead father like he was a beef tenderloin, not even straining as he set him on the workbench in front of him. Blood poured out of his head, staining the surface red. Then he took the cleaver and began to chop, cutting him up into usable pieces. Each piece, he stuck into a massive red machine that looked like it was from another century. A giant, diesel-belching automated meat grinder which took the hands, legs, arms, and pieces of torso he fed into it and turned them into ground hamburger meat. I had no choice but to stay and listen to the sounds and to breathe in the coppery smells of that horrible room as he worked, first cutting up the father, then moving on to the son. If I left, I knew my boss would see me running out the back tunnel, and who knew what he would do if that happened. The dark secret of Derby's Funland was not meant for my eyes. As soon as I thought it was safe, I bolted out of there, being careful not to let the butcher see me. When I got back to the break room, I collapsed on the couch. I needed to get out of there, to tell someone. But first, I needed to rest for a moment, to process what I'd just witnessed. But before I could even begin to think, the door burst open, 
my manager and several coworkers came in. They all had their mouths full and were chewing, holding hot dogs. And my boss was carrying a tray loaded with the park's signature derby dogs. Hey, sorry about earlier, buddy. But guess what? It's Employee Appreciation Day. Free derby dogs for everybody. Eat up. What could I say? I'd forgotten to bring lunch and they smelled delicious. I picked up a dog and took a bite, then spoke with my mouth full. Hey, did you guys hear they make these things out of assholes? We're almost there, guys. Just a couple more minutes. Rebecca was in the front passenger seat, looking back at us with a gleam of excitement in her eyes as the car bumped and rattled its way down the old gravel road. I read nervously from my handwritten notes, talking about our destination as the park drew closer. Burying my nose in books was a defense mechanism I had when I was anxious. I'd ramble about facts and figures when nobody else was interested. Tonight, though, everyone was listening closely in ominous silence. Clowntown Amusement Park, closed since October 31st, 1997, partially as a result of the general public's growing disinterest in clowns. Admission steadily declined over a three-year period until the owner, Milton Warback, declared bankruptcy and locked the gates for good. We'd been driving for the last six hours to reach the place, and the dashboard clock read 3 a.m. Everyone in the car was too exhausted from the drive to interrupt me, so they just listened quietly to my rambling. The moon was full in the sky above, giving the night an eerie feeling. The place employed more clowns and jugglers than almost any other single location in North America. Apparently, a few of them had nowhere to go after the park shut down, so several of them just hung around the remains of the place, squatting on the land and claiming it as their own. They even put up new signs reading, Welcome to Clown Town, with the official population listed after that, as if it were a real town. Sightings of these squatter clowns persisted until September 20th, 2015, when police raided the park, arresting nearly a dozen former park employees, many of them still dressed in tattered clown costumes. They locked everything more securely, installed barbed wire fencing, and reinforced steel gates at the entry. No one has maintained the property or tried to sell it. Rumor has it the Warback family is afraid to put it on the market maybe because certain parties want to keep it as is, as if there are still occupants who want to keep Clown Town for themselves. That's so creepy, Noel said from the driver's seat. If the police raids happened in 2015, those guys would definitely be out of jail by now. I wonder if they came straight back here. I could tell he was freaked out, but since he was three years older than all of us, he didn't have much choice other than to act brave and pretend like he wasn't worried. Thanks again for driving us out here, Noel. I know you're not really into urban exploration as much as we are, but it's fun. You'll see. No worries. Just remember, you're all pitching in for gas on the way home, my older brother said from the driver's seat. I nodded, telling him I had a 20 in my wallet with his name on it. There it is, my friend Brett said from the back seat next to me. Look. The silhouette of an old wooden roller coaster stood out against the bloated orange moon hanging low in the sky. As we stopped the car outside the entrance, the four of us got out and looked up at the massive gate which was locked. 
preventing us from exploring further. The giant gape was made to look like the face of a grinning cartoon clown, except paint was flaking and algae covered in places, making him appear gap-toothed, faded green, and plague-ridden. A sound of movement could be heard from beyond that, but it stopped abruptly, as if whoever was making that sound had heard us coming. You sure we should be going in there? Noel asked, looking really nervous now. It's fine. We do this kind of thing all the time. Come on, pop the trunk. I'll grab the gear. My brother opened up the trunk, and I took out my backpack filled with urban exploration gear, bolt cutters, water, rations, and a first aid kit. Not to mention a map of the park I'd found online. I cut a hole in the chain link fence, wide enough for us all to go in through, and held it open for the rest of them. Then we began making our way into the heart of the amusement park. A giant statue of a grinning clown riding a unicycle and juggling greeted us just inside the gates. Beyond that was an empty stone water fountain and a ring of concessions all around, creating a large circular area like a courtyard, at the center of which was a large, dry water fountain. All the shops were boarded and empty as we walked deeper into the park heading towards the middle of the park where the roller coasters were. We didn't have any real plan, at least not yet. We reached the midway point and walked past a carousel and a funhouse, a tilt-a-whirl and a salt and pepper shaker ride. There was an old pirate ship ride and lots of different concession stands and restaurants as we explored, going deeper and deeper into the darkened heart of the amusement park. There was garbage and debris littered everywhere, burnt out light bulbs and broken windows. But still, I could imagine what the place had been like when it was open. It felt alive somehow, as if the spirit of Clown Town had never truly left. And that scared the hell out of me. Did you hear that? Brett asked from beside me, looking over his shoulder nervously. No, what? Sounded like footsteps. Are you sure you didn't hear anything? I shook my head and we kept walking. Noel and Rebecca were up ahead of us. The two of them were talking and didn't seem to have heard anything either. As we kept moving toward a Ferris wheel up ahead, I heard the sound Brett had mentioned. There were soft squeaking footsteps coming from behind us. Someone was following us and it sounded like they were wearing big, floppy, squeaking clown shoes. I ran up ahead to tell Noel and Rebecca. There's someone here, somebody's following us, I said when we'd caught up with them. Let's get the hell out of here. Before they could say anything, I heard a sound like a light bulb breaking from behind us. We all turned to look in that direction, but saw nothing except darkness. The four of us froze in horrified silence, waiting. Then another breaking glass sound came from the right, then to the left. We stood huddled where we were, listening to the sounds from all around us of breaking light bulbs, each one being smashed from a slightly different direction, as if we were surrounded by dozens of people. The full moon provided enough illumination that we hadn't used our flashlights up until this point, but now I pulled mine out and shone it in the direction of a sound like glass breaking underfoot. A few feet away, in a narrow alley, I saw the silhouette of a clown creeping up on us in the darkness. When the glow of my flashlight hit his face, he hissed and ducked away, 
his eyes reflecting the light like mirrors. He disappeared behind the nearest concession stand, but the terrifying after image of him remained in my memory. His faded, ripped clown costume, his grinning face painted with soot, blood, feces, and who knew what else. What the fuck was that? I yelled. A second later, I heard a scurrying sound like movement from even closer, near my feet. I spun around and shone my flashlight into the shadows, but there was nothing. The sound came again from the other side, and I turned and caught sight of a small, emaciated clown, his clothes tattered and torn. He was almost naked except for a dog collar and a few scraps of filthy clothing, which were covered in red polka dots. He was on all fours, moving like a feral dog, snapping his teeth and barking at us. Let's get out of here, Noel yelled, and we started to run as fast as we could away from there. At first I thought someone would stop us in our tracks, that there would be someone on the cobblestone path blocking our way, but there wasn't. We escaped the midway area, and I felt a horrible stitch begin to grow in my side as we bolted from that section, heading back towards the entrance gate. I kept taking sideways glances at every corner, wincing at every movement caused by a gust of wind, at every sound of crunching glass underfoot, horrified by what was chasing us in the shadows. Why did you bring me here? My brother was screaming. I hate clowns. The moment he said that, all of the lights in the entire park turned on at once. Carnival music began to play, distorted and slowing down and speeding up intermittently. Light bulbs glowed over and popped as we ran past, showering us with glass and sparks. As we turned the corner, we found ourselves in the courtyard at the entrance. The giant cobblestone circle surrounded a fountain with a juggling clown statue at its head. Shops and concession stands surrounded this courtyard and we ran past them towards the gate. We had cut the hole in the fence just next to the entrance. But as we approached, we saw shapes beginning to emerge from the shadows all around. They stepped out from the stores in which they had been hiding and revealed themselves. Dozens upon dozens of clowns in ragged, tattered clothing. Their faces were painted with makeup that was crusted, flaky, and peeling with age. A few of them brandished knives. Others held pieces of rebar, rusted pipes, and broken bottles. We told you not to come back here, one of them said. We're not leaving this time. This place is ours. The four of us were only teenagers, but I realized in our dark clothing with our faces drenched in shadow that we looked like cops to them. Coupled with the fact that from what we had witnessed so far, they were severely mentally unstable. It didn't seem like we would be able to convince them otherwise. They thought we were here working for the police, maybe even doing reconnaissance for another raid. I pulled down my hood, revealing my face. We're not cops, we're just kids. I'm sorry, we were just looking around. Please, we'll go. At least, that's what I wanted to say. But the words caught in my throat as the clowns began to come toward us from all angles. I tried to scream, but no sound came out and then all hell broke loose. One of them came up behind Brett with a knife in hand. I looked over to see a giggling, emaciated clown sawing gleefully at his throat with the blade. He held back Brett's head, and a fountain of blood shot out, erupting into the air. The clown stuck his tongue out and caught drops of red like snowflakes before turning to me next. He licked the blade and began to swing at me. 
As I ducked and dove out of the way of the clown's knife strikes, I felt sharp stings where the steel found my skin through the dark clothing I wore. The adrenaline dulled the pain, but I would find later that the cuts went very deep. Noel and Rebecca were fighting off a couple of their own attackers, both large, vacant-eyed jesters with torn red and black clown outfits, covered in a myriad assortment of rips, patches, and tears. Brett was bleeding out on the ground, looking pale with his lips starting to turn blue as his blood ran out and formed a spreading puddle around his body. His hands had been up at his neck, clutching the gaping wound there, but now they fell limply to his sides, and I saw he was no longer breathing. You're next, said the clown nearest to me, seeing my eyes looking down at my best friend's dead body. You killed him, I said, unable to look away from the blood and from his pale, lifeless face. He attacked me again with a knife. I was ready for him though. In the few moments I'd been able to rest, I had pulled the heavy bolt cutters from my bag. They weighed about 10 pounds and were made of hard steel. As he lunged at me with the knife, I spun with all the force I could muster, corkscrewing my body and swinging the bolt cutters like a baseball bat. The exposed steel end of them made a sickening sound like a porcelain dish full of meat being broken. The clown's teeth exploded from his mouth in a spray of blood, and he fell down hard to the ground, unmoving. Run! I screamed as the rest of the inhabitants of Clown Town stood gaping at the heaped remains of their leader. The three of us darted towards the fence, only to find the way blocked by a hulking clown with hard, mean-looking eyes. He carried a giant monkey wrench which he slapped against his palm menacingly, stomping toward us from the shadows. Suddenly, the barbed wire atop the fence didn't look nearly as intimidating as it had before. Noel, Rebecca, and I raced for the chain link fence and started to climb, just as the crushing mob of clowns surrounded us at the bottom. The rusted barbs cut into my skin painfully as I climbed over the fish hook steel coils at the top. My clothes got stuck and my flesh did as well, but I just pulled and tore myself free, not thinking of the consequences, only needing to get away from that place away from those horrible, terrifying clowns. I dropped down hard on the other side, eating a face full of dirt and pulling myself up quickly, racing for the car at the side of the road. By the time we got inside the vehicle, we were almost surrounded by them again, as they poured out through the hole in the fence we had made. They were bloodthirsty and angry, wanting revenge for the dead leader. As the car reluctantly started, they banged on the hood and smashed in the windows, trying to pull us out to face our punishment. Noel slammed his foot down hard on the gas, and we drove off at the last possible moment. None of us said anything for a while. We just drove, panting and terrified, covered in sweat and blood, fresh bruises and wounds that will last a lifetime. And we were the lucky ones. So take this as a warning. Don't ever visit the abandoned amusement park called Clown Town. It was closed for a reason. It was a quiet day at Bigsby Land Amusement Park. The overcast sky threatening rain had kept most visitors away. An occasional rumble of thunder could sometimes be heard far off in the distance. The air had a damp chill to it that made me wish I'd brought a jacket with me. Teddy and I had the summer off school, and since it was a Monday and early in the day, we had the park almost to ourselves as we ambled along the cobblestone pathways. 
Teddy and I went with his dad once every summer to Bigsby Land as his treat. It was something I always looked forward to until this happened. Hey, check it out, Jason. The log ride. Let's do that first. There's no lineup. We can go 10 times if we want to. Teddy pointed at the towering fake mountain, which we were getting close to. It was the big trademark feature of the park, a large foam fiberglass mountain with a snow-capped peak, which sat in the center of Bigsby land. It could be seen from the highway for miles in every direction. Okay, you boys have fun. I'll be at the end waiting for you, Teddy's dad said, leaving us at the entrance to the log ride. The two of us went inside through the tunnel, which was made to look like an old mine. It was quiet inside the dark corridor, which led steeply upwards through the guts of the mountain, leading up to the ride. We had a lot of stairs to climb, but it would be worth it. The two of us began to trudge our way up the steps as we talked. Did you hear they changed this ride from the original? Teddy asked. Apparently the old ride used to be a lot scarier. No. Who told you that? I read about it online. There's a bunch of conspiracy sites talking about it, actually. This didn't surprise me. Teddy was deep into conspiracies. Okay, so what's the big secret with the old ride? Evil Oompa Loompas? He looked at his feet and didn't say anything for a few moments as we continued up the stairs. It looked like he was thinking about whether he wanted to tell me or not. Never mind. It's dumb. Most people would push the subject out of curiosity, but I'd heard Teddy ramble on enough about conspiracies for one lifetime, so I left it alone. It probably was dumb. We kept going up the stairs until we finally reached the top where we would board the log ride. After going through the turnstiles, an employee wearing a Bigsby Land uniform stopped us. You gotta be taller than the Impus to ride, little dudes said the red-eyed teen, holding up his hand. We each stood with our backs against the cardboard cutout of the Impus, a green-skinned, pointy-eared gremlin who was the official mascot of the park. After careful consideration, the guy agreed we were both a couple inches taller than the Impus, meeting the minimum height requirement. We'd only gotten big enough to ride the attraction one year prior, and it was still an exciting experience. The drop-off at the end was huge and absolutely terrifying. All right, go ahead, he said, waving us through. Jittery with nervous anticipation, the two of us climbed onto the log ride. The whole place was empty aside from the two of us, so we went straight to the first row and pulled down the safety bar until it hit our knees. We had the ride all to ourselves. Keep your hands and legs inside the log at all times. No flash photography, avoid the side tunnels, and have a big spirific day, the attendant said through the PA system, his voice rapid, garbled, and barely comprehensible. What was that about side tunnels? I asked. Teddy gulped, ignoring my question. A second later, the log began to move forward in the water, and the two of us waited nervously for it to pick up speed. On both sides of us, Cartoon farm scenes with gophers, cows, and grizzly bear farmers played out, the animatronics cheaply made, and the cutscenes jumpy with poorly written dialogue. Even as kids, we weren't impressed. But that wasn't what we were here for. We were interested in the big drop at the end. This was all just added suspense. Gladys the gopher, you rascal! I'll get you! 
one of the animatronic bears in farmer's overalls was yelling, waving his pitchfork at the gopher with a carrot in its mouth, who bounded away atop a pistoning steel tube. Help, kind travelers, the gopher called out. Won't you please help me? Gus the grizzly farmer is gonna get me. Teddy and I just laughed. Screw you, Gladys, get bent, Teddy yelled, throwing a balled up park map at the animatronic gopher and hitting it square in the face. Instead of the animation continuing as it normally did, the gopher stopped dead in its tracks, looking offended. It just glared at us as it disappeared into the distance behind us. The rest of the animatronics from that point on stayed silent, dark, and still. Whoa, that's weird. It didn't do this last year. Is it a glitch or something? I don't know, Teddy said. Hey, what's that? We looked up ahead and saw there was something in the water blocking the flow. It was an overturned passenger cart, a log just like the one we were in, but it was riddled with holes and appeared cracked and ancient. What the hell? Oh man, we're gonna crash into that thing. Then I noticed that there was another, smaller tunnel leading off to the side. It looked like we were going to crash into the log blocking the river and then would be forced into this other dilapidated looking side tunnel. Oh no, Teddy said looking terrified. That's the old section of the ride, the part I was telling you about. The website said you should never go down that tunnel. It was closed off for a good reason. I looked and saw there were boards marked Keep Out and Danger, which were hanging across the upper part of the tunnel opening. But we would slip beneath them easily, and there was no way to stop us from being sucked into that abandoned side tunnel. The current was too strong, and the boat was too heavy. We crashed with a brutal impact into the other log, and the safety bar banged hard into my gut, knocking the wind out of me. Then we drifted sideways at the fork, slowly floating into the darkened side tunnel. The walls and ceiling above showed cracks and holes, years of unrepaired damage. Sounds could be heard echoing from the darkness ahead, like movement and alien voices speaking to one another. The two of us called out for help, screaming for someone to stop the ride, but we were too far down the side tunnel and the sound of rushing water was drowning out our voices. A moment later, we were enveloped by complete darkness as the log began to pick up speed once again, the current taking it down this new, unintended route. This is the side tunnel they warned people not to go into. They could never demolish this part of the ride, Teddy was saying, reciting his conspiracy theories. Most parks would just build over an old section, right? Tear down the old, make way for the new. But not here. At Bigsby Land, things work a little differently. Stop, Teddy, please stop. I'm freaked out enough as it is. We were picking up speed, flowing faster and faster through the darkness, the tunnel twisting and turning. It felt far more precarious and terrifying than the ride we were used to. The log boat feeling like it could capsize at any second as it went around sharp bends. I was starting to feel queasy and motion sick, hanging on for my life as the ride picked up speed and we plunged downwards into the dark abyss inside the mountain. There was movement in the darkness, I realized, as my eyes adjusted to the low light. Things were scampering in the shadows off to the sides of the ride, just out of reach, moving quickly, almost keeping pace with the rapid motion of the log we were in as it traveled along the river. My best friend kept speaking, but his familiar voice had changed now. He had begun to sound completely different, 
as if what he was saying was coming through an old PA speaker mounted to his face. It was garbled and distorted, his cadence and everything about his voice sounding different, like an automated tour guide on a theme park ride. He sounded like an old man with a whiskey voice speaking on the radio. Or, I realized, like the old recordings of Mitchell Bigsby I'd heard, the founder of Bigsbyland. They tried to tear it down bit by bit, however. The workers kept disappearing. The ones who emerged from the tunnel were missing pieces of their arms and legs, bite marks visible from tiny mouths. They would tell others to stay out, that there were creatures inside the tunnel who fed on human flesh. Small, green-skinned monsters who the Bigsby family had kept secret. They were the ones who built this park for Mitchell Bigsby, nearly a hundred years prior. Constructing this mountain like a modern Great Pyramid. All of Bigsby land is built on their blood, sweat, tears, not to mention the bodies of their many dead. Teddy, can you hear me? I asked him in the darkness, terrified to see what had happened to my friend. Was he possessed? Why are you talking like that? What's wrong with you? He didn't respond. His dark silhouette just stared at me blankly as the log picked up speed and traveled faster and faster down the tunnel. I could see the outlines of dozens of the creatures staring at us from the shoreline, watching us. I felt the log begin to shift and rock in the water, and I looked back to see there were things in the boat with us. They were climbing over the seats from row to row, moving toward us in the darkness. The only way to appease these creatures born of darkness is to allow them a taste of your flesh, Teddy said in his new voice. Think of them like mosquitoes. They just need a taste of your blood, a little piece of your flesh, and then they'll let us go on our way. But there's no sense resisting them, since there are far too many. Impus and his minions have come for their pound of flesh, and we must oblige. Suddenly, the safety bar holding us in place released from its position, and Teddy stood up from his seat, his arms out to his sides, palms facing upwards, like he was sacrificing himself to them. Terrified, I watched as the creatures leapt from the back of the log ride behind us, landing on top of him. They looked ravenous as their huge mouths opened, revealing hundreds of small, sharp teeth. They feasted on his flesh in rapid, greedy bites until he stumbled backwards into the water. When that happened, it seemed to knock him out of whatever trance he had been under. I looked back to see him thrashing and screaming as the gremlin creatures fought over him like piranhas in the bubbling water. Teddy! I screamed as he disappeared into the distance behind the boat. Then there were more of them leaping off the edges beside the river, jumping onto the log and climbing over the seats toward me. I counted at least three of them. My heart was pounding, terrified after what had just happened to Teddy. I knew I'd have to fight for my life against these monsters. One leapt at me and latched onto me with sticky fingers like a toxic rainforest frog. I pried it off of me with a great effort and tossed the creature off the side of the boat into the water. Then another came at me and another. This time I couldn't pull them off of me in time. As I tossed one over my shoulder, heaving it into the water, the other one latched onto my bare leg and took a bite below my shorts. It hung onto me like a cartoon dog biting a mailman as I shook my leg, trying wildly to kick it off. I screamed and it eventually broke free. Flopping on the floor of the boat for a moment, it quickly recovered and jumped at me again. I managed to catch it, holding it out in front of me as it gnashed its pointed, needle-like teeth at me. 
It flailed and squirmed like a large, wriggling fish in my hands, slimy and wet, and I tossed it over the side into the water. How many of these things were there? I wondered as I watched more of them racing along beside the boat. I was getting ready to fight off more of them when they stopped, freezing in place. The log crashed against a wall in an adjoining tunnel, and I realized that I was back in the new section of the log ride again. The old side tunnel met up with the new one, just as insidiously as it had diverged from it in the first place. A light appeared up ahead, first the size of a quarter, but growing rapidly larger. It was the drop-off, I realized, which would have been fine, no big deal compared to the terrors I had just experienced, except that the safety bar was still disengaged. There was nothing to stop me from flying out of my seat when the log dropped off the cliff, which was coming up ahead. Before I had time to think too much about it, the bottom dropped out from beneath me, and I held onto the safety bar for dear life as it plunged off the precipice, jetting down the chute. My entire body lifted up from the seat, and my sweating hands just barely kept a grip on the safety bar. Finally, the log crashed safely down into the waters below. Teddy's dad was off to the side, watching with widening eyes as he saw me alone in the log ride. The stunned, terrified expression on my face and the screams pouring out of me told him everything he needed to know. Blood was on my hands and face as I waved my arms over my head, hollering for someone to help me. By the time I got off the ride and told the park attendants what had happened, Teddy's father was gone. He ran inside himself to try and save his son, leaving me alone with the staff members to explain what had happened. Of course, none of them believed what I told them, instead just rewriting what I said as I said it. Evil gremlins attacked us and dragged Teddy into the water, turned into. Teddy fell off the side of the boat and I hurt my leg trying to rescue him. His dad eventually accepted that as the truth, despite the flaws in that theory. I can't blame him. I wouldn't have believed me either. But I know what happened, and I know something is badly, badly wrong with Bigsby Land. How many more kids need to go missing before they'll admit what's happening? The impus is real, and he's amassing an army inside the mountain of the center of Bigsby Land, a force that gets bigger by the day and which feeds on human flesh. So stay out of the side tunnels and have a Bigsby-rific day.